Hey, hey, it's Animation Celery. Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons. Soaring high in the sky. He may be small, but only in size. It's Micah. It's Micah. And Matsy. Uh, yeah, Matsy. Uh, today, on Animation Celery, the cartoon that we're going to be talking about is going to be honoring Kevin Conroy, the man who played Batman more than anyone else. He was the voice of Batman in pretty much all the cartoons and some video games. Uh, just longtime Batman and a good one, I will say. So we are watching Batman Mask of the Phantasm, a theatrical movie from the Batman the Animated Series uh, canon. So we'll get into that later. But first, uh, I don't know. Fill some time, Micah. <laughs> well, how about a new tradition? The uh, Animation Celery Advent Calendar. Oh, right. That. Yes. Yeah, it's the it's December and we're counting on counting down, counting up to Christmas, I guess. Mm. You know, these things you open the door and maybe there's some candy or a toy in there. So uh, why don't I get us started with door number one here? OK. All right. Let's open this guy up. Uh, ah, hey, it's uh, everybody's favorite. It's Super Mario. And he's, oh. uh, yeah, he's, it's not the best paint job, but uh, you know what? He's kind of hollow here, so I think they didn't count for this, but uh, this would be the number one play feature is turning him inside out. <laughs> of course. Oh, well, joke's on me. They did account for it. It's Captain Lou Albano on the flip side. Wow. Neato. What a meta toy. <laughs> Captain Lou Albano. Super Mario. Well, that's a pretty good start, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I would take a, 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 either one of those. All right. Well, let's uh, see what happens behind door number two, Matsy. Please do the honors. All right. Let's see. I got this uh, this calendar full of animation celery artisanal teas. Uh <laughs> So let me see here. Uh, hmm. Um, not sure what to make of this one. Yeah. It, 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 it has like jelly stone artwork on the package. Okay. And it, it, it says that it's augy doggy flavored. And <laughs> I I don't know what that means. Uh, let's see. Uh, hints of parental codependence. <laughs> um, and uh, um, gender swapped black current. What is that? Hmm. Huh. It's very popular uh, these days. Yeah, I guess. Uh, I guess I'll have to steep that and see what Augie Doggy tastes like. Okay. This seems this seems rude. This seems like a rude calendar. I may have made a mistake. <laughs> it's puppy teas. Tea that smells like a puppy. I guess, yeah. Puppy teas. By the way, uh I'm still I'm I'm still a little sick here, so that's why I sound like Harvey Firestein. Yeah, I for the last podcast I I didn't know that you were sick. You didn't tell me. I just yeah edited every instance of you clearing your throat and kind of went, oh, he cleared his throat <laughs> a lot on that one. Um, I didn't know there was a reason for it. 
Well, um, I bring the content anyway. Uh, I started yeah. watching a new cartoon this week. Yeah. Um, it's an anime called The Girl from the Other Side. Hmm. Okay. So this had caught my eye as a manga when I was at the bookstore. Um, it's got a distinctive look, kind of like Edward Gorey, you know, <laughs> those depressive sort of uh, Victorian style drawings of the, with lots of pen work and washes. Um, so for the anime, they decided to stay very distinctive. They went with a watercolor look that makes characters sort of shimmer in a dreamlike way. All right. Um, so in it, there's, uh, like two realms. There's the inside and the outside. Mm. And we begin with, uh, armored soldiers. And we're talking like maybe late medieval armored soldiers, um, uh, fighting against those outsiders. Anyway, uh, in the, uh, in the chaos, there is a girl who is unconscious and abandoned. And she's found by one of those cursed outsiders, literally cursed. Um, So he's like tall and lanky and he's got wavy horns like an impala. And (laughs) his head is sort of like between a goat and a crow. And he's got a long tail. So Hmm. when I I made that Edward Gorey comparison, I was gratified to look at samples of his drawings and found that he drew creatures like this. So it's clearly an influence on uh, Nagabe, the mangaka who made this. Okay. Anyway, at least through the early going, um, he's taking care of this kid. Now, his touch bestows curses. So in order to walk sort of hand in hand, he holds a uh, an axe choked way up on the handle so she can hold the other end. Hmm. All right. Um, brings to mind for me, like, all kinds of questions, though. Like, would just a pair of gloves suffice if they just both wore gloves? Anyway, um, he takes her back to his home. But as it's been a long time since he had any kind, like he's lost most of his sensations. So mm-hmm. he has no concept of comfort or at least he has no appreciation of it. Right. But right. they start renovating everything so that it can be somewhere where she can exist. Right. They clean up and, and, you know, stock it full thing. Like, like I said, he can't really feel anything. So, like, he tends to a fire with his bare hands, for example. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, she's kind of simplistic in character so far. Just kind of a cheerful kid. Um, but at any rate, it's a very interesting-looking show. So Sounds like it, yeah. Yeah. I was just looking up some Edward Gorey to remind myself. Like, oh, weird. I, they, they made a manga and anime of this? Well, only sort of. I mean, now look up the girl from the other side, and you'll see that, like, at first I thought it was stretching until I realized that Edward Gorey drew stuff, like, she just calls him Sensei. Um, so he, has, he hasn't gotten an official name yet. Oh, yeah, okay. Oh, I see. Oh, yeah. this is probably the manga. Yeah. Huh. Huh. Yeah. And it's animated by Studio Wit, who seems to have its hands and everything there. The, uh, the group that started... Well, did most of uh, Attack on Titan, mm-hmm. and they and they did worked on. Uh, um, oh shoot, what is it? This was Prince Boji, uh, Ranking of Kings. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so they're doing a lot of interesting stuff and a lot of interesting art styles. So, pretty neat. Yeah, that's neat. Uh, what else have I been doing? I'm, uh, oh, more Shira. Um, oh yeah, that was missing last week. <laughs> yeah, I took a little break. Um, 
So where I've reached right now is picked up with uh, Bo Swiftwin and Adora flying Mara's ship to Beast Island in order to recover Entrapta. Ah, uh, right. Um, so like I've been saying about the uh, background artists of the series, they're great. Beast Island looks great. Mm. So when they get their Swiftwind, the Alicorn, uh, can hear weird noises on the island. Yeah. Uh, unsettling noises. Um, and eventually they, oh, oh, they, they, they do encounter, um, uh, there's no spoilers for this series. Is there someone's listening? Uh, they, they encounter King Micah, which, yeah, you know, I think it's a little weenie that the <laughs> horde exiled him there. I don't know if I want yeah. to rationalize it. Maybe the horde, you know, the horde is just full of Ethereans. So, Maybe they respect royalty too, and would think that exile, would, that, that a king would be worth exile rather than the, execution. The, imp the impression I got was that being exiled to Beast Island was execution. Like they just kind of expect that, you know, it's not as simple as oh we're going to hang you or cut your head off. It's like we're going to put you on an island where we know for a fact that you're going to be torn apart by wild animals if you don't starve first. Like it's right. one of those. It's one of those torturous methods of execution that uh, some societies employed. I've read about that once and people come up with some people used to come up with some pretty twisted ways to kill. Oh, sure, sure. And I guess maybe they like dozens of people they dead exiled, they'd get killed. Yeah, maybe. or at least never came back. Right, right. Um, hey, <laughs> hey. That actually brings me up to something I think is kind of funny about the Horde is how they vandalize. Whenever they conquer something, they vandalize and paint their red and bat insignia all mm. over whatever they've conquered. <laughs> it gives me some different perspective on the dignity of characters like Lonnie. Like Lonnie, they make as sort of the, um, the conscience in the Horde. Mm. She's sort of a minor character, but I think it would tilt if you got to see her after a victory, hooting in bloody triumph and splatting red paint over everything. Yeah. As they're investigating Beast Island, trying to find Entrapta, they get to this one point where uh, everybody starts hearing the sound and then mm -hmm. all the foliage starts growing around them and pulling them downward. Yeah. And it made me think, all right, we get to see another horse surrender to the swamp of despair. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, but anyway, so it, it was it was welcome because if anything, the the uh, it was great for the for the backgrounds in that part. Um, yeah. And then uh, we got the promise of a whole arc based around Scorpia getting connected to her stone. You know, mm. as for her princess powers. Mm-hmm. Um, which, which I put a stop to because I thought, okay, this is, sounds pretty good. I'm going to take my time and enjoy that. I'm gonna, it'll be for the week that comes. I'll enjoy that whole princess saga. Um, right. Okay. Although it makes me wonder what her enhanced powers look like. Mm. Is she extra venomous? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Does she now squirt her venom in a line? Is her venom deadly instead of just paralyzing? Yeah. Or maybe she can modulate it, you know? Yeah, yeah. She can, like, squeeze a gland to modulate how deadly it is. Yeah, who knows? 
I think that's about all I have for this week. What about you, Matsy? Uh, let's see. <laughs> Boy, things occur to me too late sometimes. Um, I thought of, I found a ridiculous through line that you're going to enjoy about last week's episode. All right. So last week you watched Weird, the Weird Al Yankovic story. Yeah. Movie about Al Yankovic. And then we watched uh, The Adventures of Super Mario Brothers 3 with Millie Vanilli in it. And, Good times. And Hammer Man with MC Hammer in it. Yeah. And then I started thinking about it and I was like, hey, Weird Al Yankovic did parodies of songs by Millie Vanilli and MC Hammer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> on the same album. Off oh. the Deep End. Get get this. He did a parody of You Can't Touch This. And it's called I Can't Watch This. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which, when you think about Hammerman, is amusing. <laughs> I can't watch this. Um, and <laughs> he did a parody of uh, Millie Vanilli's song Don't Forget My Number called Don't Forget My Plumber. Shit. <laughs> Wow. I was like, wow. Wow. <laughs> I know, right? And I'm looking at this like, wow, that whole episode connected ridiculously. It was amazing. That's hilarious. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, I've been, um, at, I've been looking at some Weird Al clips, including one where he mm. talked about being on Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> <laughs> like his publicist or whoever wanted him to be on Wheel of Fortune. He said, ah, I don't know. And he said, well, you'd, you'd be on with little Richard and James Brown. Said, okay, I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Which again is a link, right? The, the, to the yeah, uh, yeah, 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 to the Hammerman legacy yeah. superhero. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, for for as excited as he was to be with these legends of music, um, <laughs> he sure sold one down on an interview where he mentioned that uh, James Brown, he was pretty sure, had never even played a game of Hangman in his life. <laughs> so basically, all show long, he had to be reminded of the way the show worked. Oh man! Until like he spun, he said, uh, ah, "Can I, can I take an A?" I said, "Sorry, you have to pick a consonant." Okay, Europe. Oh, <laughs> <what>? <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> Took me a minute to, yeah, to yeah, yeah. even <laughs> decipher the stupidity of that. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's amazing. We um, also kind of will find the uh, the bit where Weird Al was on Family Double Dare versus Lou Ferrigno. <laughs> Oh, boy. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Um, what else? I saw that there's a new cartoon, and at first I dismissed it until I looked real close and saw the Disney logo at the top of it. Okay. And I thought, oh, okay, Disney made this. They've been doing some good stuff lately. Let me take a look. It's called Viking School. Oh. And it was quite a high and then quite a low. Oh. Uh. The high was when I started watching it, and the first credit that popped up during the intro sequence is that it was produced by Cartoon Saloon. Hey, neat. I know, right? And I'm and I'm looking at it as like looking at the art, and I'm like, yes, okay, this is definitely Cartoon Saloon. Okay. The low was that the version that I found is not in English. Oh. It's in <laughs> it's in some other language I couldn't identify. I suspect Norwegian. I was going to say Gaelic. I thought that too. I was like, is yeah. this Irish? Is it? But I think because it's like a joint production of some 
things. And so I suspect that this version was Norwegian, but I have seen trailers online that are in English and I could see that the stuff being said didn't quite match up with the lips perfectly. So I'm sure there's an English version of this somewhere. I just didn't find it. Maybe it's on Disney plus. I'm Um, glad the low wasn't from apparent quality. Well, no, it, I mean, I don't know enough to say whether it's what the quality is. Uh, It looks like you can tell that it's cartoon saloon. It's, it's kind of like a, um, a more mask produced version of something like wolf walkers. Okay. You know, like they didn't put as much time and effort into it, but that's kind of like a character design style. Sure. Um, and it seems to be about a school for Vikings. Hmm. Um, but I, I couldn't find any more information. You have Disney plus, maybe you should look into that. Cause I'm thinking yeah, if yeah. this is cartoon saloon, this is all the way up your alley. Just, I mean, it's up mine too, but like you more than me. Um, oh. and you have Disney plus my cable co- or my internet provider, which is also a cable company keeps telling me they'll give me Disney plus free if I get this thing, but I'm not really sure how useful the thing will be. Anyway, seeking something else, I clicked around and I think it was actually on, you know, in alphabetical order V and there's also W and I found something that I just looked at out of curiosity called wait till your father gets home. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know that? Yeah. One of my coworkers recommended this thing. In fact, I mentioned it to you a while ago too. And you thought like this is interesting to look at, which is kind of funny. Yeah. 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 You forgot. You Did, forgot. We got. I gave you a secondhand I, recommendation for this. Oh, yeah. Did you actually watch it? No. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, let me explain what it is. It is a Hanna-Barbera adult cartoon for primetime from like 1972. Uh, it is one of the few adult cartoons that actually lasted more than one season. Mm. It, it is kind of jumping on the all in the family thing. Where it's like, oh, right. people like to laugh at a conservative father with a liberal family. Let's do that. Okay, sure. Uh, and so it is Harry Boyle. And hmm. he has a family. His wife, Irma, his teenage son, Chet, his teenage daughter, Alice, and their younger son, Jamie. And for what it's worth, their dog, Julius. Also hmm. involved is their neighbor, Ralph. Uh... Let me, I watched one episode called Mama's Identity. Let me give you a quick, uh, a quick summary of what this is. So Harry and his friend Ralph start by getting a parking ticket from a meter maid. And Ralph goes off about the dangers of giving women a man's job. This, this guy, Ralph, like if this was the modern day, I guarantee you Ralph would have been a perfectly benign tourist, quote unquote, uh, in Washington, D.C. on January 6th, 2021. Okay, that's that's the kind of guy this guy is. All right. Um, He professes he's like women in pants, men with long hair. You can't tell them apart anymore. He professes that this is all a commie plot to make American men weak and effeminate so the Ruskies can attack. Uh-huh. <laughs> but Harry is sure that, and I quote, a lot of women are still happy to be just plain old mothers and housewives. Like his wife, Irma. But unbeknownst to him, Irma is at that very moment reading a book called The New Woman under the eyes of their daughter, Alice. 
Alice wants Irma to be her own woman. But Irma goes to start dinner. And when he gets home, Harry is dismayed that Irma is just starting dinner. It's his bowling night. He has to be gone by seven. Is it too much to ask for dinner to be ready on time? A little argument ensues, with Harry pointing out all the wonderful luxuries he provides for his family and dismissing this new woman philosophy as garbage. He even makes a joke about his own daughter being fat. <laughs> okay. After dinner, Harry heads out bowling and asks Irma to press his slacks while he's gone for the business meeting in the morning. And that's when Irma gets the little consciences on her shoulder in the form of her two teenagers, Alice and Chet, who both urge her to break the shackles of male oppression. When Harry comes home from bowling, he finds Irma reading the want ads looking for a job. She's not fulfilled and not happy just cooking and cleaning for her husband and children. I actually did get a little laugh here. Like, most of this is pretty offensive to me, but okay. I, I got a little laugh and Harry complained that his accountant tells him his prices are too high. The pricing agent, or no, his accountant says the prices are too low, the pricing agent says they're too high, and the IRS takes everything in between. That's a pretty mm. good line. Okay. Yeah. The next day, militant Ralph has his family flag-raising ceremony, just so he can see the horny old woman Sergeant Whitaker making horny old jokes. <laughs> Afterward, while they carpool, Harry explains that Irma is out looking for a job, while Ralph is spout... Ralph? Ralph espouses his crackpot theories about her being a commie. Meanwhile, Irma has successfully landed a job as a secretary at a law firm. She daydreams about helping the lawyers to crack tough cases, but what actually happens is that she has to type copies of paperwork non-stop while the other secretary does nothing but file her nails and enjoy the sexual harassment from the men. Mm. Okay. Back at home, her family wonders about dinner. But Irma calls and has to work late, so she suggests that the other woman in the house, Alice, fix dinner, despite the fact that Alice is a terrible cook. Mm. After a horrible dinner, Alice, being the girl, is also expected to do the dishes, but she's going to the library. The other kids have places to go, too, so the cleaning is left for Harry. Whoa. When Ralph... Yeah. When Ralph comes over looking for a fourth for poker night, he finds Harry in an apron mopping the kitchen. Ralph starts imagining the commie plot to reverse the sexes coming to fruition. First, he imagines Irma, and I guess Ralph's wife, as businesswomen at a club, while Harry and Ralph are the sexy playboy bunny-clad waitress and cigarette girl. Hmm. And then he imagines men as contestants in a beauty pageant. Ugh, that's a woman's place. <laughs> and finally, men having babies. When Irma gets home, she calms Harry down by kissing him. Harry gets ready for a big evening in bed, but Irma has already fallen asleep because she's all tuckered out. The next evening is the same, with Irma having to work late, so Harry, Jamie, and Chet, Alice isn't around for some reason, go out for dinner at a fast-paced, impersonal diner. The next day, Harry sets up a work schedule for the kids so they can do the housework. It has a few hiccups, but it's not as big a disaster as you'd expect from a cartoon like this. Mm. Uh, Chet vacuums and washes dishes. Alice is frazzled by doing the dishes and laundry, and she wishes she'd never introduce her mother to feminism. Uh, she says she'd rather have a complete mother than a complete woman, but I sort of read it as, you know, now that she has to do housework, she wants the mom back so 
because she's lazy. Right, right. Yeah. Anyway, at the bar, Harry tells Ralph he won't give Irma the satisfaction of begging her to quit. And then horny Whitaker shows up for more horny old woman jokes. That night, Harry shows off how self-sufficient he is by by getting himself a snack instead of asking his wife to do it. Look at the character growth. All right. (laughs) And well. While Irma apologizes for neglecting him, Harry insists that the important thing is that she's happy. But it turns out Irma isn't happy at her new job. In fact, she's already quit. She misses her family. Turns out her identity is a mother. Huh. And, and Harry confesses how miserable everyone has been without her. The next day, all the kids want Irma to deal with mending and washing their clothes. And Harry tries to get the kids to go easy on her, but compared to the work she had to do with a law firm... This is a holiday. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah. Um, so this is pretty minimalist. Um, it's, you know, animated like a Hanna-Barbera cartoon. You'd expect like a second in, rate one. Hmm? You know what the art style makes me think of is what? in the newspaper when they have those spot the differences <laughs> between these two uh, panels. Oh, my gosh. Oh, you're exactly right. Oh, wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. The jumble or whatever. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You're totally right. Um. What I found interesting, most interesting about this is the voice cast. Okay. There's some, there's some interesting names here. Um, Tom Bosley plays Harry. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom Bosley, in a couple of years after this, would be better known as Howard Cunningham, the father in Happy Days. Huh. Uh, Irma is voiced by Joan Gerber. Now, okay. she voiced a bunch of stuff, but we know her best as Mrs. Beakley in DuckTales. Nice, nice. Or maybe you prefer her as Gotcha Grabmore. No. In awful <laughs> Tiny Toon Adventures. Um, the little kid, Jamie, with a little kid voice, is voiced by Willie Ames. Mm. He would go on in a few years, like 10, to voice Hank in Dungeons and Dragons. Right, okay. That's amazing. And one of the most interesting ones for me is the voice of Ralph. Yeah. You'd know the voice if you hear it, but maybe you can't exactly place it. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a guy named Jack Burns. Now, Jack Burns did a bunch of things. Um, When Don Knotts left the Andy Griffith show, they brought him in as as a replacement, but he was so unpopular that he didn't last. Mm. Uh, He was a writer and producer for a sketch comedy show called Fridays. Uh, where he is probably best known as being involved in the sketch where Andy Kaufman broke character and started talking about how stupid his lines were. And then Michael Richards had to come and dump uh, cue cards on the table. This was in the movie um, 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 Man in the Moon. Right. OK. Uh, he was the voice of one of the crash test dummies, along with Lorenzo Music. Huh. Um, he was... I, I didn't immediately recognize this character, Sid the Squid in Animaniacs. And then I realized it's one of the old timey cartoon characters that uh, Slappy yes. Squirrel worked with. Yeah. Right, right. So he's that he, voice. As mm. soon as you mentioned the crash system, he's like, oh, I know which one he is. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah know, he's the one that's not Lorenzo yeah. Music. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Also, he was the head writer for The Muppet Show and huh. co-writer of The Muppet Movie. So... That's wild. Yeah, that'd be the number one credit for me. Sure. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that's why I saved it for last. Yeah. Um, but yeah, 
like I said, you know this voice if you hear it. But yeah, yeah. he is. Uh, oof. He definitely wants to make America great again. Well, not Jack Burns. <laughs> the character. He's, yeah, the character yeah. Ralph. Um, yeah. Boy. Well, times they ain't that much different, right? If you're thinking about the states, especially, but probably mm. Canada too. You know, people, I think it was yeah. people lamenting how our military is too woke, not as uh, insensitive and powerful like China's. Crazy crap like that. Yeah, exactly. There's yeah. a. There's like. There's like. Has Irma ever been abroad? Like, yeah, once she was in Catalina. Mm, figures that's on the way to China. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um. So yeah. So I watched that and I failed to watch Viking School. I've been playing a bit more Pokemon. I caught a cool Pokemon. Mm. What was it called? Uh, 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 ah, shucks. There was a neat Pokemon. I can't remember what it was. Oh, well, I guess we'll come back to it later. Um, sure. We should get into the meat of the matter. What we're really doing this week. All right. We're watching Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Directed by Eric Radomski and Bruce Tim in 1993. Um, everybody knows who Batman is, right? We've well, talked about him before. Yes. Everyone in the world knows who Batman is, but I'll go into it a little bit more. In 1989, a Batman movie revitalized the superhero genre in cinema and in the public consciousness in general. And springboarding off that was Batman the Animated Series. It largely kept the gothic nature of the city of Gotham, making it a character unto itself. Mm. And it basically kept the new long design of the Batmobile as well as the variation on his flying vehicle, the Batwing. Um, it kept the idea that Batman could be an enjoyable drama for adults, or at least all ages. Uh, but as for specifics, the series did its own thing. It often reinvented characters, or for that matter, introduced whole new characters. And that leads us to the cin cinematic release of the first Batman, the animated series movie, Mask of the Phantasm. So that's the beginning. Uh, the soundtrack booms in and lets you know that this is a movie movie. Hmm. We're taken through the Gotham skyscrapers in computer animation in 1993. <laughs> and the Batman theme song has Latin-like lyrics. By God, if this isn't a movie. Oh, yeah. I actually think the stylized nature of Gotham lends well to computer animating the city. I do, too. Like, it's all yeah. so, like, flat. Um, right. And so if you're just doing simple, you know, computer animation that's just polygons moving around, well, that still just looks like this show's backgrounds. Yeah, but it's just the opening credits. They don't utilize it in, yeah. the sh in movie, movie proper. Um, yeah. So at the Shady Lady Casino, because <laughs> yeah. the gangsters really wanted to have this earmarked by the law, um, <laughs> gangster Chucky Saul outlines a plan to his lieutenants to launder counterfeit money in the casino. That's cue for Batman to crash through the window. He's more than a match for their fisticuffs, and he has workarounds for their guns. Uh, Chucky makes his retreat to the casino parking garage, but he's confronted by a different vigilante. It's a grim reaper-like villain with a blade for a hand who glides and emits concealing smoke. Uh, in an effort to run over the reaper with his car, Chucky drives out of the high-rise garage and fatally crashes into the building across the street. Then, at a press conference, city councilman Arthur Reeves decries the murderous vigilantism of Batman. Commissioner Gordon rebuffs this idea, 
but it's clear that other police don't share any affection for the caped crusader. Uh, at the same time in the Batcave, Bruce analyzes some chemical residue found on a piece of Chucky Saul's windshield glass. The setup transitions fast here, so we next see a mysterious woman coming to Gotham by plane. She yeah, talks coming to that, just she's coming just now. She's just arriving in Gotham just now. She she yeah. hasn't been here up to this point. She's arriving now. You know what's funny is that uh, <clears throat> is that she's using a phone on the plane. So yeah. this the Gotham in this whole series has this sort of aesthetic like it's the early forties or late thirties. Yeah, yeah. And yet she's yeah, she's talking from phone. I, Anyway, I, I mean, I noticed I noticed immediately that like they're watching this uh, Arthur Reeves uh, press conference on a black and white TV. Yes, but, always. But Batman has a color computer monitor. Yeah, but I like that this computer is also like of the time of the 90s for computers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So one of the richest kings of Europe, which is to say Bruce Wayne. Right. Um, so. The person she's talking to on the phone is that Arthur Reeves guy uh, about handling her fi family finances and also about being a former flame of Bruce Wayne, but also that Reeves is interested in her. So we get we get all that fleshed out right away. Mm. Um, so there's a party at Wayne Manor and there's women that either fawn and drape over Bruce or in one instance bitterly throw a drink in his face because he's such a playboy. Yeah. Uh, he takes a break from the dames to socialize with Councilman Reeves. This guy's everywhere. <laughs> um, he brings up the one woman Bruce took seriously, and cheekily he pretends not to remember her name very well. But it gets to him more than he lets on, and Bruce exits to a dark room to remember meeting her as a younger man. I think they do a nice job making the younger man design of Bruce. Yeah, I do too. Still recognizable, but without the solid wall of chin. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... It was at the cemetery when he was visiting his parents' grave. Andrea Beaumont, a fellow college student, is speaking aloud to her mother's resting place. The two bond over, a little over their grief, but Bruce keeps vague about his crime-fighting ambitions. After she leaves, he gets right to it. But this is Batman Year One. Yeah. He doesn't have a costume yet. Uh, he's laughed off when he jumps in on the scene of a warehouse robbery in dark clothes and a balaclava. Thank goodness he has his throwing star game worked out at this point to deal with all their guns. Uh, he does manage to hang on to the back of the truck as it makes its getaway. Yeah, this isn't Batman yet. He uses a hammer to break the windshield. <laughs> yeah. Um, he does have some cool explosive caltrops, though, to overturn the vehicle and allow the police to catch up. But Bruce almost dies in the crash. I actually do like this. <laughs> I almost wish, you know how like uh, the Nolan trilogy, they wanted to do like Batman, but in real life. Yeah. I almost wish it was like this where <laughs> mm. it starts off with him just like in a ski mask. Using yeah, I, a hammer. I like it. I like it too. I like that. This is like, he's got the idea, but yeah. he's, he's not very good at it yet. Well, but he's still quite good. Like, <laughs> the first we see of him, he's swinging on a rope around the building. <laughs> oh, yeah. So he's already kind of Batman. He just, you know, he I, I guess the, theoretically, the polish. theoretically, he's had a bunch of martial arts training, so he kind of knows what he's doing there. But he just doesn't he just doesn't know how to thwart villains properly yet. Right. And he's got like his utility belt is just a bunch of like 
fanny packs. This is, it's just a, yeah. a belt with some pouches. Anyway, yeah. you, you mentioned martial arts. That leads to the next scene. Mm. Um, while practicing his jujitsu, by the way, animated pretty crap, I think. <laughs> um, uh, Bruce discusses the shortcoming of the mission, that the crooks weren't afraid of him. Uh, they put that crime-fighting discussion... He, he's discussing it with Alfred, his butler. They put that crime-fighting discussion on hold because Andrea shows up. She sweeps him off his feet, literally, and in the high heels yet. <laughs> um, that she can fight deepens the level that he's smitten. And Alfred bashfully about faces to leave the two to pitch woo. <laughs> uh, it's kind of cute. I like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> turns around. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Anyway, all that was the flashback part. In the modern day, fellow gangster Bronski visits the grave of Chucky Saul for a little disrespectful payment of respect. Uh, waiting for him is the phantasm. It chases him across the graveyard until he tumbles into an open grave. As he tries in vain to climb out, the phantasm topples an angel statue onto the, into the hole, crushing him. Bronski's goons arrive so late that they assume the departing silhouette is actually Batman. Mm. Thus, yeah, thus it gets in the, into the papers that Batman is on a crook killing spree. First Saul, then Bronski. An old hood named Valestra sees the paper and panics, fearing that he could be next. He's really past his prime, needing supplemental oxygen. I, I like that. Yeah. Um, because in the... It, whenever he shows up in a flashback sequence, he makes a note of s taking a drag from a cigarette and blowing the smoke in someone's face. Right. It's like karma. And, and so I like that 10 years later, he's he's this frail, emphysemic. Um, yeah. Old, old man. Yeah. It's not karma. It's just it's just desserts, but it's also science. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so Councilman Reeves, him again presses Commissioner Gordon to act against Batman, but he won't. So Reeves exerts his influence on the rest of the police department to root out the bat. Luckily, Batman is spying from the outside ledge, so he doesn't fall for it when they try to lure him with the bat signal. Instead, <laughs> Batman goes to the cemetery to investigate instances of chemical residue like he'd found on the glass. He's distracted first by his parents' grave, then familiarly, familiarly uh, by Andrea, being there and talking to her mother's grave. Yeah, when Batman, I thought I yeah. thought that him going to visit his parents' grave. I mean, I can understand yeah. the allure of that, but at the same time, I was like, "Oh, don't do that, Bruce." Well, uh, everybody's yeah. going to know who you are. It's enough that. Well, also, he runs from her, which I think is kind of funny. Yeah, Batman. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, she, <laughs> she takes note of the Wayne family headstone, and she pieces together that Batman and Bruce Wayne are one and the same. Yeah, how about that? Speaking of which, also, um, you know, their stature. I like that in this animation, they make sure to note that Bruce Wayne is bigger than most people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so at an upscale restaurant, Reeves and Beaumont talk about money matters, but she's distracted by her revelation. Of course, he wants more and tries to mix business with pleasure. Also motivated on multiple levels is Batman, spying from a nearby building with binoculars in the rain. What a creep. What a creep. <laughs> One thing I'm not wholly sure about, though, is that Reeves asks Andrea about how she and her father are getting along, and she says good as ever. That mm. must have seemed odd to him, wouldn't have? 
Because, mm. I mean, we'll get to why, but maybe he just thought she was being evasive and we'll never know because, you know, that would have been a whole other scene maybe. But anyway. Well, I think maybe he... Uh, let's come back to this. I have a theory yeah. about this. We'll come back okay. to it after there's a little more revelation. Okay, okay. So, a soggy Batman flashes back to happier college days when he and Andrea went on a date to the World Expo. Ha-ha! Yeah. All's fair at the fair. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, one of the first things they do is, like, the home of tomorrow, and imagine seeing the uh, the robot hands shaking the mold and dumping the home out. Anyway, <laughs> um, so, amus- but, you know, amusingly, this expo keeps in line with Gotham being stuck in the 30s <laughs> because their view of futurism is stuck in that era, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, now, Bruce agrees after this successful date to meet her father even though developing this relationship is in conflict with his goals as a crime fighter i mean he was just thinking about the batmobile when he saw a concept car yeah 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 i like that he saw this cool car and he's like hmm (laughs) yeah um anyway andrea takes bruce to meet her father in his office it's a small world this flashback because a young arthur reeves is there apparently a lawyer for carl beaumont back in the day Mm. Uh, obvious mobster Valestra shows up to interrupt the meeting. He dresses like a mobster, helps himself to a cigar from the desk, and he's voiced by Abe Vigoda. Yeah. Um, anyway, outside, Andrea relates to Bruce that dealing with unsavory characters is just the cost of business in Gotham, but the young man can't help but feel frustrated. When he sees motorcycle punks robbing a man outside, he can't hold back, so he runs to fight the three thugs. And he does really well, including his own variant of the Kaneda from Akira move to dismount the rider from the motorcycle. Yeah. Uh, it's only when he's distracted with worry for Andrea's safety that a baseball bat is broken on his body and the crooks get away. Later, he broods while trying to design a scary enough costume. It eats at him that he can't possibly live a life of danger while someone loves him. He goes to his parents' graveside again to bargain that he could do good outside of vigilantism and have the love that he wants. Andrea walks up to him and pleads that he listen to this option. So, in the modern day, whatever that is for Gotham, uh, Salvatore Valestra uh, pulls Reeves into his car in broad daylight. He's so freaked out about the attacks against his associates, and Reeves confirms that, incorrectly, that it is Batman killing them all. Of course... This scene confirms that moral darkness of Arthur Reeves that he so freely associates with these gangsters. Mm. At the same time at the Batcave, Batman links victims Chucky Saul and Bronski to Valestra through their various legitimate businesses. It prompts him to snoop around Valestra's home, and then there's literal photographic evidence of the close ties between Carl Beaumont and the three gangsters. Looking at the past again, Bruce walks with Andrea on the Jersey Shore, and he pops the question. She accepts and all is happy until a swarm of bats screeches and passes by like an omen, a power that won't release its grip on Bruce's fate. Later, he drops Andrea off at her home, but speaking of omens, her father is in an ominous meeting with the criminals. The result the next day is the ring being returned to Bruce, with a note from Andrea saying that she's too young and that she's leaving for Europe with her father. The tug of war is won, and officially Bruce pledges himself 
to the darkness of the cavern and to the recognizable cape and cowl of the Batman. And you know what? For as much as those bats are like an omen that he can't get away from them, I like that Bruce actually does his con- conquer his psychosis to find mm. happiness, and it's not him that ruins it. Mm, yeah. I mean, you could argue that it's him trying to woo a woman who's connected to the mob is what ruins it, but, you know. Yeah, well, yeah. He's always had... Like, that's, you know, superhero weaknesses, like Batman's got kryptonite or whatever, and Spider-Man just always <laughs> runs out of webs at the wrong moment. Yeah. For Batman, it seems to be women that Bruce Wayne was about to marry once. Huh. You said Batman's got kryptonite. <laughs> oh, did I? Oh, yeah, I meant yeah, Superman, yeah. obviously. Well, bad ladies are his kryptonite. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe I'll talk for a while. I haven't okay. said much. Okay, uh, so let's see. Where are we? Batman has got this photograph. Hmm. And Valestra, well, he's freaked out. Uh, Reeves wouldn't help him. He has one last resort. He goes to the dilapidated site of that World's Fair. And uh, as he's walking through, the robots that sing about the future all turn on and are immediately machine gunned apart. Huh. Who would be so insane as to turn on a robot song just to kill them. <gasps> it's the Joker. the Joker. He's in this movie. Mm. He takes Valestra to his house of tomorrow, where at least they won't be bothered by the mother-in-law. And there, Valestra wants the Joker to take care of Batman before Batman kills Valestra. And he insists that the Joker will be next. The Joker isn't too bothered, but when Valestra angers him, he decides to help. Hey. <laughs> I I like uh, this is my favorite Joker. Like I know oh, yeah. people love the Heath Ledger one, but this mixture of like this Joker has plans. Right. Heath Ledger's Joker would just kind of did whatever. This Joker has plans and his plans involve just this this mix of fun and violence. Like <laughs> He's not just chaotic. He's like, he's having fun, but also being sadistic. And I love it. I love this Joker. When he's laughing at Valestra head on. Yeah. I can't help but think that, look out, Sal. Don't make a deal with a laughing salesman. (laughs) (laughs) It kind of looks like him, right? (laughs) Um, Oh, the laughing salesman. You know, um, this movie really makes me like this Joker. I, I never much liked this Joker. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's good in this movie. And in fact, like, I've, that's really saying something because I've had this tremendous Joker fatigue over the past decade. Yeah. <laughs> Especially frequenting comic artist boards where everybody's got their illustration of the Joker. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's been some pretty bad Jokers. Um, oh. What was that show, The Batman, where his hair was like a jo- uh, a jester's cap? It was... That, yeah, that, I guess. That Joker was gross. Oh, um, man. Man, but yeah, this Joker, just, yeah, this Joker, by the way, for those who don't know, is voiced by Mark Hamill. Hey, Luke Skywalker. Yeah, Luke Skywalker is also the Joker. Um, yeah. And to me, he is primarily the Joker. I have to remind sure. myself like this guy's this, this guy's also Luke Skywalker. But no, mm. he's also just the best Joker. Anyway, let's leave the Joker for a minute. So where were we? Uh, Valestra wants help. Joker got mad at him, but it's like, oh, OK, I'll take care of Batman. Now, later, Andrea is returning home from another date with Artie Reeves, 
And she isn't surprised to find Batman in her, I think it's a hotel room. I can't imagine she's got an apartment already. Mm, uh, okay. Now, she's dismissive. Batman wants to know where her father is, since he's the common link between all the dead mobsters, but Andrea just tells him to get out. She has the parting line that the only one in this room controlled by his parents is Batman. And that oh. kind of takes Batman aback because she knows but once Batman is gone, she breaks down in tears. Later, the Phantasm enters Valestra's home to finish him, just like Sal thought was going to happen. But he finds that Valestra is already dead with a grotesque smile on his face. Does it did it strike you at all that this is, this movie was showing a corpse like this cartoon? Oh, there's had a, there's corpse. a lot of murder. A lot there's of a lot of murder, but there's a lot of murder, but this is like an, the, the actual dead body. Right. Anyway, he's got this grotesque smile, but he also has a video camera and speaker in his lap. And over the crude form of Skype, Joker realizes that mm. the Crusader killing mobsters isn't Batman. And he blows the place up with the Phantasm escaping out the window just in time. And then Batman shows up in the Batwing jet. The costumed weirdos get into a fight, but the Phantasm escapes when the police show up. And a chase ensues, which culminates in an explosion at the construction site. Batman is forced to take off his cape and cowl as a diversion to escape. And while he's on the run, unmasked, Andrea shows up in a car to take him to safety. See, she saw what was going on in TV and had to come help. And the police figure, oh, well, he's in a car. Can't get him now. You know, I think this is the most exciting part of the movie. Uh, it's of Batman evading the police. It is, but it's also, yeah. there was a lot of it that I was like, why did Batman show up just then? Why was he in his jet? Why did the police not shoot Batman when they were following like two meters away from him? Why okay. did these police officers not shoot at the car? Why did they not at least get the car's license plate number. Why didn't they send out a bulletin that there's this car heading this way on this street and it has Batman in it? Like there's, this is actually my least favorite favorite segment of the movie because so much of it is just so flawed. It does have I cool guess. action. It does have yeah, cool yeah. action. Like definitely, definitely. Well, does. You did, well for me, I feel it because <clears throat> it's like just Batman versus a veritable army of trained killers in pop and Gotham's police yeah. departments. Um, but no, no, you're right. I guess. I mean, I think overall the movie doesn't, it has some, uh, things that are not that tight like that. Mm, yeah. Um, well, you know, anyway. though, hmm? actually, you know, I've brought it before my theory that the Marvel cinematic universe is full of heroes and villains willing to indulge each other in hand to hand combat, even though it means nothing. Yeah. I have a similar notion for Gotham that the police department of Gotham isn't actually impotent. They're actually a pretty dangerous force. And the crime in Gotham, although, you know, the Joker poisoning some people is, like, sensational, that the real problems of Gotham are these not-costumed guys that, like, have tremendous racketeering and the like. Yeah. You know, like Bronski and like Chucky Saul, right? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um, but there's sort of like an underground thing happening between Batman and these guys like to do impractical things that Batman likes to disarm uh disarm people of their guns with batarangs you know and that the joker likes to uh kill people in this horrific way 
as you know, as per yeah. idiom, you know, and the Riddler exists and all these people. I think they're just kind of in the background. They make the biggest splash, but really, the yeah. uh, police department and the uh, the main mainstream mobsters are the real forces. But anyway, yeah. So now we're back at Wayne Manor, where Bruce is getting patched up, and Andrea explains. The night she went home after Bruce proposed, her father was in trouble with the thugs. He told him he'd get their money in 24 hours, but instead, they all fled to Europe. He made a fortune with the money he embezzled, but the mob wanted more than money as payback. And so now, Carl Beaumont has come back to Gotham to get out from under them, and Andrea has to stop them. Bruce and Andrea <laughs> make up. Mm. And the next morning, Andrea heads out, promising to come back that night. Bruce ponders, maybe he can give up being Batman once he settles this business with Mr. Beaumont, who is the Phantasm. And then he can settle down with Andrea. But then something clicks as he's looking at that photo. See, uh. in most of the flashbacks where Beaumont has been uh, being cajoled by these thugs, there's also been this other unnamed thug, generally with a smile on his face. Uh, and as Bruce is looking at this photo and he grabs a red pencil crayon and draws a, he outlines this smiling thug's smile in red. He realizes this is the man who will eventually become the Joker. Hmm. Uh, to some extent, Batman, the animated series follows the canon of the movies. Um, there is one episode where they, somebody made a casino based around the Joker, um, and he had a bunch of files about the Joker, which uh, identified him by his real name, Jack Napier, which is the name of the uh, Joker character in uh, the Batman movie. Uh. So theoretically, this small time thug named Jack Napier uh, eventually fell into some chemicals and uh, went insane and disfigured. Anyway. Right, but they, they maintain the comic canon that his parents were killed by Joe Chill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, Joker. And speaking of which, now Joker pays a visit to Artie Reeves. Artie Reeves worked for Beaumont, remember? And he lets Reeves know that it isn't Batman who's killing the gang, but a new masked guy. And, uh, you know, obviously Artie is, uh, in bed with them too, apparently. And then, just as they're there, Andrea Beaumont calls to cancel their lunch, but they'll see each other tonight. Joker is rather amused that Beaumont's daughter would call just as they're talking about her father. And the next thing you know, Reeves is in the hospital, laughing uncontrollably from the Joker's poison. Batman shows up, and Reeves explains that when he was first trying to get elected, he asked Beaumont for money and got turned down. So he sold Beaumont out to the mob. Now Batman goes back to Andrea's place to look around, but he doesn't find anything interesting apart from a locket with a picture of Bruce and Andrea that she's apparently kept all this time. The phone rings then, and it's the Joker, who thinks that Andrea picked up. Joker says he has a special delivery for her, and it's no use jumping out the window this time. Wait, what? Batman detonates the bomb arising, arriving by plane with a batarang, and just in case we need more explanation, we get a flashback from Andrea showing her arriving home just in time to find this smiling thug, let's call him Jack Napier, walking out of the place, and Andrea goes to find her father and screams. 
Carl Beaumont isn't in Gotham being the phantasm. Carl Beaumont is dead. And you, know what's Joe- kinda, hmm. you know what's kind of cute here? Is that the Joker set up a bomb for Batman that nearly killed Andrea. And this time he sets up a bomb for the phantasm or for Andrea that nearly, the Batman near, narrowly avoids. So the yeah. Joker's not omniscient. But you know, <laughs> violence just finds a way to work out. Yeah. So now that he assumes that he has killed off the phantasm, Andrea Beaumont, Joker relaxes in his home of tomorrow. Oh, but then the phantasm shows up. Uh, But Joker, as always, is unfazed. He just remarks on how hard to kill she is. There's a fight, and Batman shows up just in time to save Andrea from one of Joker's traps. He implores her to give up her vengeance scheme and leaves. Or, or, employs implores her to give up her vengeance scheme and leave. And she does leave. And then what follows is a cool sequence of Batman, Joker, cat and mouse through this whole uh, amusement park. Uh, There's a bunch of cool things here. I like the Joker uh, (laughs) wearing Wearing the the, skyscraper top. Yes, yes. And just kind of in the background. Uh, That was so good. It's so Joker. Yeah, it's like Um, uh, Empire State Building top. yeah, 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 yeah. This all culminates in Andrea reappearing to escape with the Joker as the whole park blows up because he had this rigged with explosives and Batman deus ex machinas through the collapsing ground into the waterways. And then he has well, to more watch like just the... flukes out. He just kind of flukes yeah. out really. Yeah. 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 He has By to the way, watch you, all... you, didn't, mm. you didn't cover that Joker wanted to make his getaway on a 1964 world's fair jetpack. Oh yeah. Which is just so perfect. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> um, Back at the Batcave, Bruce laments that he couldn't save Andrea. Well, Alfred opines that she fell into the dark pit of vengeance that Bruce had managed to avoid. Ah, but then Bruce spots a glint. It's that locket from earlier. Hey, maybe Andrea's still alive and she still loves him. We end with Andrea alone on a cruise ship while Batman continues his battle against evil. And that's the end. You know, uh, mm. tight, we were talking about like holes in the movie. Yeah. It ends with Batman answering the bat signal, but the movie doesn't explicitly resolve the problem that everyone thinks he's a crazed killer. I guess subtextually Reeves' corruption comes out and changes that perception. Yeah, maybe. Uh, speaking of Reeves, um, yeah. we were talking earlier about him uh, asking about Andrea's father. Yeah, yeah. I think this is him saying, so how's your father? I sure have no idea what happened to him. I sure oh, didn't I sell him out to the mob. I guess, yeah. Yeah. But it struck you as weird, too. Yeah. Um, Not at the moment, because I didn't no. realize what was going on. Um, It was looking back on it late. It w- I it actually didn't strike me as odd until you mentioned it. And then my mind immediately started uh. racing. Like, what's an explanation? Oh, well, I know what I know what uh, Reeves relationship with the father actually is. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, you know, I halfway expected a final scene confirming that the Joker isn't dead because he sure seems dead at the end of this. Um, well, I mean, he fades away with Andrea. Yeah. And I guess I guess the subtext is if Andrea is still alive, then he must be, too. Although then the question becomes if Andrea escaped with him and she wanted to kill him. Eh? Eh? Yeah. Like there's appears, no Batman to stop her. You know, he appears later in the series. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wish they had at least kept his missing tooth from this movie. Yeah. 
that would have been good. Uh, he he probably knows crooked dentists. Yeah. Um, and maybe I, th- I think he would have liked the. He would have thought it'd been funny to have the missing tooth. Speaking of which, mm. I okay. So I prefer when Joker is a capable combatant. Yeah. I I can't take him seriously as a match for Batman when he's portrayed as a weakling. Yeah. And in this movie, I think he could actually win against either Batman or the Phantasm. Hmm. But he can't help but choose the funny tactic, like using the uh, big baloney rather than the cleaver to hit Andrea in the face. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> yeah, but like I said, I think he could win. He just, he can't get over himself being a goof. He's like uh, Roger Rabbit, you know, only when it was funny. You know, yeah, or yeah, yeah. he's got to spring out when he hears uh, shaving a haircut two bits, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I thought about that several times. Like, you know, if something went wrong and Joker ended up, you know, in some kind of a downfall, like, would he just find it funny? It's well, he like, did here. Yeah. When he, like was, that's, when he was in explosions and fire, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, and I, I just think, like, that's, that really is, it's kind of, it is kind of like the Joker in the Dark Knight, but it's like, you know, you can do whatever you want to the Joker, and he's just going to be like, oh, man, you got me that way? What a joke. That's funny. Okay. Um, they, they made, um, an animation of the Dark Knight Returns, but I imagine the comic is very much like it too. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the Joker's pretty freaking nasty in there. Like, <laughs> yeah. you see him like just shooting people, and you're like, "Whoa, this Joker really is evil!" <laughs> and uh, gets in a very good hand-to-hand fight scene with Batman, where he's like stabbing him, and you really kind of feel his menace. Again, yeah. I like that way better than just being kind of a weenie that Batman, you know, pulls by his collar. You're going to jail, you know. Yeah. Well, I like 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 I said, I liked this version, you know, where he's like he's shooting up these robots right over Velestra's head. He could have hit Velestra, but he didn't. Yeah. But I'm sure Joker was like, eh, well, if I shot him, oh, well, well he wouldn't be able to hear funny. my jokes. Yeah, I, I think Joker doesn't care. Like, I think he's just, you know, I think he would find the humorous irony in anything that went wrong for him. I think a lot of especially evil people like. We often think they're illogical, but no, they're not. Like, you know, why would he, why doesn't he just kill the guy whenever they have, you know, like, oh, I put him in a death trap or I, I soliloquy to him for a really long time, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it's like, you only get one chance to kill your nemesis, you know? <laughs> you want to yeah. make it good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. Um, um, we talked a lot about the Joker, but this is supposed to be honoring Kevin Conroy. So. Sure. Let's talk about Batman a little bit. Um, well, you know what? I think he's the best. He's the best Bruce Wayne. Oh, yeah. He's so mild. Like, his voice is so mild when he's Bruce Wayne. Like, it's such a departure. Like, Bruce Wayne and Batman have such different voices. You know, there's this saying that uh, Bruce Wayne is the costume. Hmm. I think modern Batman leans into that too hard to the point where they don't even care who Bruce Wayne is. Yeah. <clears throat> and here... He's got warmth and humor and, you know, in this movie, especially, he's got things that he wants. Yeah. Like, after the DC animated universe, they've made other, made tons of other animated property, uh, animated DC stuff Warner Brothers has. Mm-hmm. And uh, the current stint they're on, Batman is almost personalityless. Like, they need, they need his son Damian Wayne or they need Dick Grayson around in order to have someone who has a personality. He's yeah. just sort of an implacable robot otherwise. So this is a breath of fresh air seeing uh, 
a Batman who has some depth and, you know, yeah, warmth. there's a real there's a real struggle between Bruce Wayne and Batman, like with him in the rain at his parents grave, like begging them for it to be yeah. OK for him to not be Batman. And he's like he's like tearfully like I didn't count on being happy. Like, right. And yeah, I think the key is that he actually chose it. He actually won against himself. Yeah. You know, with Kevin Conroy's passing, there's been a preponderance of clips lately. Um, one that I thought was pretty funny is how at first he was fighting to play Commissioner Gordon or Bullock instead because <laughs> they were the interesting roles. <laughs> and they were they had to fight back against him. No, dummy, just take take the starring role. Be Batman forever. And, you know, in hindsight, I'm sure he was like, yeah, that was the right choice, being Batman forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's so good. It Like, you know, they, they've they tossed around so many Batmans over the years. Like, mm. you know, the first the first two movies in the modern Batman movies, um, yeah. it was it was Michael Keaton. Like, yeah, and okay. I think he was a good Bruce Wayne, too. He was all right. He was all right, yeah. Um, but then they kind of, like, nobody wanted to do it anymore. It was like, uh, I don't know, Val Kilmer? George yeah, Clooney? Kinda, yeah, George yeah, Clooney, no sure. Good. Neither of them were good. No, not really. Um, I mean, Christian Bale was... He's okay. all right. Yeah. Although his Batman is sort of a punchline, too, for the way yeah, he talks. Yeah, it is. It is, This yes. Batman is just right, I think. Yes, I agree. Like, in a lot of ways, Batman the Animated Series is kind of the pinnacle of Batman. Oh, man. Man, oh, man. Um, I've made no secret how stupid I think DC Comics are. Yeah. Uh, and probably the most nuanced, reverent, intelligent take on uh, on DC properties is Batman the Animated Series and the DC Animated Universe. Hmm, hmm. Like, so many characters were reinvented by these authors' serious love of some really stupid matter. <laughs> and plenty of original properties were created here and have been subsequently uh, adapted stupidly into the comics. <laughs> yeah. Um, man. I think... <laughs> when I look at DC Comics, I think, this isn't written for kids, but boy, is it not written for adults either. <laughs> 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 it's just, well, like, stupid and edgelord and shocking yeah. you know it's just shocking for shocking sake yeah um the animated <clears throat> series is like look at this detective doing detective stuff right out of a detective comics if you will uh, oh it's just that sometimes there's some real weirdos that he has to fight yeah you know what that is kind of like it's like uh when marvel comics writers took a bunch of transformers and gi joe toys and thought hey what if these all were characters that we cared about what would we do with them same thing with this, where, like, Mr. Freeze is nothing, and they made him into a better character. The Mad Hatter's nothing, and they made him into a better character. You yeah. know? Yeah. For sure. Um, so, this is, I, I, my opinion, the DC Animated Universe is the best DC. Sure. I'll, I'll go with that. I've always loved Batman, the animated series. Um, I haven't seen much of the other shows uh, yeah. in this canon, but um, there's definitely a great pedigree there. Like, they're doing well, good work. I'll, I'll say the one ironic thing is I've grown into liking this. Mm -hmm. As a kid, I didn't really like Batman the Animated Series at first. Hmm. I wasn't sold on the distinctive character designs. Yeah. And I found it really corny and melodramatic, which yeah. I still kind of do. 
<laughs> you know? Yeah. But that's fine. That's fine. Um, yeah. um, this was your first time watching this movie. It um, was, yeah. Uh, I Although, I had seen more of it than I thought. I think I actually did yeah. watch it straight through at some point because I remembered a lot of it. Yeah. Um, it was already so, spoiled for me. So Oh, was but, it? You, you know, yeah. I'm not sure that I wouldn't have known anyway. Mm. There's not a lot of characters. And maybe it's different in 1993, but these days, ever since I would say Fight Club, the movie, <laughs> um, ever since then, every movie tries to do that kind of uh, twist. Mm. <clears throat> and it's to the point now where a real twist that would catch me unawares is if things happened at face value. <laughs> like I watched the movie Shutter Island and by the end I was, my thought was, oh yeah, of course, you know? So... Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I would have known that, uh, Andrea was the phantasm. Yeah. Even though she, uh, arrived in Gotham after the phantasm's first killing. Yeah. She's really careful, I guess, <laughs> thinking I, that somebody would get onto her, you know, would, I, would be onto her to that degree. It's kind of like, uh, crooks that go that extra mile just in case Sherlock Holmes is figuring <laughs> out their case. Yeah. Um. Um. So anyway, I think this was a pretty good movie. Um. You know, it's it's, it's weird. It it's simple, it's short, but it feels dense. You know, it's not. I mean, you know, you can point out flaws with it and say, well, it's not a perfect movie because this, this, this. But yeah, you compare it to Batman, Batman Returns, Batman Forever, and Batman and Robin, <laughs> and it's like this is of those five movies. This. <laughs> For a Batman movie, this really is the best one. Yeah. And it did original stuff, too. Andrea mm -hmm. is an original character for this. Yep. And the Phantasm kind of is. They mm -hmm. basically... This might have helped the mystery for real uh, DC hardcore people. Is this story of getting revenge on all these mob guys was originally uh, the Reaper, who yeah. is a villain with a, with a sickle blade hand. So they yeah. would have thought it was that. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. But yeah, they did. They they incorporated some stuff from the comics, but then also did their own spin, and that's good. Yeah, neat. Uh, well, let's see. Rest in peace, Kevin Conroy. We love your work. Mm -hmm. Um, you are among the best Batman's, if not the best. Yeah. Um. But here we go. Um. Let's move yeah, on. Yeah. So let's move on. Yeah. Um. Okay, so for next week, I suggested we do the topic of super strength. Yeah. So, I think I uh, have made a power move here by the episode title. Okay. Uh, Matsy, I would like you to watch One Punch Man, mm. the first episode called The Strongest Man. <laughs> <laughs> you, you sent me a picture and said, do you know what this is? Yeah. And I did not. Yeah. Um, but then I thought about the context and I was like, oh, I wonder if this is One Punch Man, which is fine <laughs> because it's actually something that I've wanted to watch for a while. Oh, neat. Um, as for you, you know how sometimes we give each other a, a cartoon title and you're like, you have no idea what this is going to be. Okay. Well, this is the opposite of that. <laughs> okay. This is about as obvious as it can be. Um, right. You're going to watch the Flintstones. All right. And you're going to watch an episode called Little Bam Bam. Ha! Huh. Lots of mystery. Yeah, yeah. Little Bam Bam. Okay. 
Bam has two M's, by the way. <laughs> just in oh, case really? Just in case you're searching. Oh, like Bruce Tim. Yeah, Bruce yeah. Tim. Okay. All right. That's going to be fun. Uh, that's the show. Until next time, tell us what to watch, what to talk about. Tell us what your favorite episode of Batman the Animated Series is. You can find me on Twitter at DrabSwatch. Yeah, tell everybody about this podcast. Uh, tell us what your favorite Batman is. Episode? Sure. But also just the favorite movie, your favorite Batman. There's a bunch to choose from. Mm-hmm. Adam West, Michael Keaton, uh, Kevin Conroy, Val Kilmer, George Clooney, Nobody. <laughs> Kevin, uh, Christian Bale, um, and I don't, oh, uh, Ben Affleck, I think, was Batman. I said Adam West. He was the first Did one. you? Okay. Okay. Uh, ben Affleck, I think, was Batman at some point. Um, and oh. I don't know who played Batman in The Batman recently. Oh, he's um, uh, the guy from Twilight. Robert Pattinson? Oh, okay. Is that his name? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'm on Twitter at ACMatsy. And with that... We can finally fade away into the night with this celery stalker slogan. This madness ends now.